Listen, we're going to get started here uh, on our sixth message in this series that we're doing called Daring Faith. If you want to get in your notes and, and begin to look at that, you can check that out. Uh, but th- this week's message is called Daring to Plant in Faith. Daring to Plant in Faith. So la- last week I was talking about how, how we give God our best. I talked about how Paul gave, uh, he gave examples of a soldier. He gave examples of an athlete, and he also gave an example of a farmer, but I didn't have enough time really to get into the aspect of the farmer. And so, and so that's the one that I want, to, I want to get into here at the first. And now, here's what's so interesting, is that throughout the Bible, they use this illustration, God uses this illustration over and over and over again about gardening or about planting or about sowing seed consistently. This is a common theme throughout the Bible. Even in the beginning, we see that when God creates man, He creates Adam and Eve, and He places them in a garden, doesn't He? And that garden is called Eden. You know what Eden means? It means, it means pleasure or delight. And the idea is that when God created man, He designed us to have a heart for God, to walk in unbroken communion with Him. And from having that unbroken communion with God, we would be so filled with God that we would be clothed with the presence and glory of God and be able to have authority over all of God's creation. Now, the problem was, obviously, that when God put him in the garden, He said, Now, Adam, here's what you have to do. I've given you all authority. I've given you dominion. But you have to guard this garden. You have to keep it and protect it. And you have to cultivate it. You have to make sure no weeds grow up in this garden. You have to make sure that no trespassers come into this garden to affect this garden. Now on one hand, we begin to look at this garden as our own life and as our own heart because Proverbs 4.23 says to guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. Now I want you to understand that God understands that He needs to plant seed into your heart in order to produce a harvest in your life. Guess what? Satan understands the same exact thing. And they're in competition in a sense to see which seed you are going to plant more of in your life or whether or not you're going to uproot some of the weeds that have been growing in your life and some of the thorns that have been growing in your life to produce good soil in your heart to prepare for a harvest and let the seed of God be planted in your heart. Amen? And so throughout he says these things. In Genesis chapter 8 verse 22... It says, as long as the earth endures, there will be seed time and harvest. Now, there are laws that are in place in the earth that are just in place, and there's no way that you can get around them. Some people say, well, how come do these things happen? How come do these things happen? Do you know that when God established the world, He set set certain laws in order and you just cannot break those. That's just how it goes. That, and one of those laws, he said, is that there will be seed time and harvest. There will be sowing and reaping or planting and harvesting in every aspect of life. Now, here's what it says in Galatians 6, 7. It says, don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. You believe that? You can try, but you won't. And then it says, whatever a person plants, he will harvest. And this is why Jesus goes on to say at one place, He said, you will know them by the fruits that they bear, right? He said, if you want to know if a person is a true Christian or a true prophet of God or a true minister of God, notice by the fruits that they bear because you cannot mock God and don't be misled. You cannot trick God. Whatever you sow in your life is ultimately the harvest that you are going to reap. And what you see in your life right now, whether you, are, whether you are living in joy or whether you're living in peace, whether you're living in love and abundance, is literally due to the fact of what you've planted or not planted in your life. And you're seeing and you're reaping the benefits of that harvest. So I want to go through some of God's laws of planting and harvesting. And this is what it is. In the Bible, it's called sowing and reaping. And when you understand the laws of sowing and reaping, whether you choose to use it ineffectively or whether you choose to use it wisely, it's either going to harm you or it's going to bless you. And here's, here's, here's the beautiful thing about it is, when we talk about sowing and reaping, we're not just talking about planting plants, right? How many people we got that have a garden in here, right? That help, we got about two, three, praise God. We need to bring it back. We need to teach some of our young people how to plant a garden, amen? We need, I'm telling you, because we're in bad shape. I mean, we, we got people, you go up here to IGA right now, get a tomato, it may not, I mean, you know what I'm saying? That didn't come off, off a fresh vine. That might have offended somebody, I don't know, but 
But you know the difference between something that has been planted and then something that's just been grown real triply and sp- sprayed with some kind of chemical. Amen. You, there's a big difference. And the problem is, is that in our lives today, rather than growing something fresh in our lives, we want everything to be like chemically produced. Amen. Even in church, we want to skip the long, arduous task of growing and cultivating and weeding out and, and, and tilling the soil and doing the work of a disciple. We want to bypass that and try to get fresh fresh, luscious fruit on one Sunday a week. Amen? It just doesn't work that way. You have to put in the work of a gardener in order to see these things happen. But the law of planting and harvesting works in every area of your life. It works in your relationships. It works in your finances. It works in your spiritual life. It works on your job. What you plant is ultimately what you are going to harvest. And here's the truth. What do you need more of in your life? Right? Whatever I need more of in my life, if I'm going out to plant a garden, I will, I will think in my mind, well, I think I would like to have some more tomatoes. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to plant tomato seeds. In the, same, in the same context, God is saying, do you need more love in your life? Do you need more appreciation? Well, you need to sow more love. You need to sow more appreciation in your life. Do you need more honor and respect in your life? You know what you need to do? You need to sow more honor and respect in your life. Do you need more finances? Now, this is where it gets difficult because the world today is so in love with money that the truth is that the Scripture talks about sowing finances in order to reap a harvest. And that's hard for us to deal with sometimes, especially with TV preachers of our day. But I'll get into that a little bit more. But whatever I need in my life, even if I need more talent, for example, if I need more uh, in the area of of my gifting and my calling, I have to take what God has given me and sow that and plant that in order to reap more in the long run. Matter of fact, Jesus teaches a parable of the talents, and he says he gives one man five talents, one man two, and one man one. And the one who had five talents took the five and put them to use, or in other words, he kind of planted them. And he got five more in return. But the one who had one, he just hid it and didn't use it, didn't put it to use. And you know what God did? He took that one talent that that man had and gave it to the one who had ten. Why? Because that man was going to be a good steward, and that man, God knew he would plant what he had. Amen? So, so God is not fair. People say, well, you know, how come that doesn't sound fair to me. Guess what? God isn't fair. He, he, he works on different principles and different laws and different reasoning than what we work on. And, so, so, and one of those, just like I said, is reaping, planting, and, and, and reaping a harvest. So the first law is everything starts as a seed. Everything starts as a seed. Every idea starts as a small seed of an idea. Every dream, every achievement, even a nation. America started as an idea or a concept, the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And this idea, this seed was planted and gave birth to a nation. Even churches, when we talk about churches, what do we say? What's the language we use? We talk about planting churches. Why? Because even this church began as a seed. It began as a thought or a vision that God gave to a person as a seed. And that person says, out of this, I'm going to plant a church. And it starts small, but over time, what happens? It begins to produce fruit and grow. And there's some weeding that takes place. And there's some, there, there's some cutting off. What, what, what's a, Jesus call it when you know you have to cut off some branches on occasion and different things are happening? You have to work this process. You have to till the soil. You have to water the thing to make sure that this thing grows. But in every area of your life, Everything starts as a seed. Now, here's what's so interesting. Even your life, even your life physically and spiritually, it started as a seed. Now, it's hard for us to think about, but right? The seed of our father went into the womb of our mother and it created us. We started out as a seed, literally. Now, in the spiritual realm, we were born physically because we started as as a seed that made it into a womb. But the truth is, is that spiritually, the seed of the Word of God, the Scripture says that we are born again of incorruptible seed. That the Word of God goes forth and penetrates the womb of your heart. And when it does, it gives a supernatural spiritual birth on the inside of you. And all of a sudden, this small seed in your heart of the Word of God begins to grow. And guess what's happening? Christ is being formed on the inside of you because of the seed of the Word of God. Now, in our spiritual life, we can begin to reap harvest based on the Word of God that we plant in our life, right? 
Even Jesus said it like this, and this, this helps me a lot. Because Jesus understood something that I didn't understand when I first started preaching. When I first started preaching, I thought everybody should be getting it and everybody should be flourishing. I'm sitting up here thinking, this is the best stuff I've ever heard of that anybody's ever preached. How come you ain't getting it and how come you ain't flourishing, right? That's what I thought. And then I read this parable and Jesus says, look, when the seed goes forth, and he's speaking concerning the word of God. He says, when it goes forth, it's going to land on four different places. you got to ask yourself where you're at this morning. He says, one place it could land is by the wayside. That means that this whole entire message that I preach out, that it could land in some of y'all's lives just by the wayside. And that means that you hear it, but you don't understand it. You have no intention to apply it. And Satan, whenever you leave here on Sunday, all, he just slides on by and says, I'm just going to take that seed. You ain't going to get no harvest out of that. Amen? Good word. I mean, that's simple, but it's a good word. Then he says there's another type of people that the seed gets planted, and it's sown among rocky places. And he says these people, the seed is sown into their heart, but they have no root within themselves. They're not rooted in God. They're not rooted in His church. They're not rooted in the kingdom. And it says when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, and they immediately go out saying, man, I can't wait to put this word into practice. I'm excited. But then tribulation, persecution, or hard times come because of the word, and immediately they stumble and are offended, and they let the word go. Right? The other type of soil, he says, is that there's some seed, the Word of God is sown among thorns. So as the Word of God goes out into people's lives, it's sown among thorns. And he says those thorns are the cares of this life, the pleasures of this life, 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 life. Who, who knows that God wants you to have pleasure? He wants you to delight. He wants you to enjoy life. He wants you to have nice things. He wants you to have all of those things. But when those pleasures and the cares of this life and the busyness of life begin to choke the Word of God out in my life, I've got a problem. And he says some of them are sown among thorns, but then he said finally there's the fourth type of soil. And this is good soil in a heart. This is the condition of your heart. And he said this seed is sown in good soil and he says, it begins to bear forth fruit. And it comes, and some bear 30-fold, some 60-fold, and some 100-fold. See, there was a small seed planted in Loretta's heart one day. And that seed began to grow. And when it started to grow, there was persecution, there was tribulation, there were lies of the enemy that came against that seed to try to get her to not water that seed, not nurture that seed, not care for that seed. But instead, she said, no, I'm going to get in a small group. I'm going to get into ministry. I'm going to wash dishes, praise God. And what she was doing all along was watering that seed, nurturing that seed, taking the lies of the enemy that he was trying to plant in her heart and uprooting that garbage and saying, I'm going to protect this seed in my life. I'm not letting any weeds get in this seed. I'm not letting any deer come in here and eat the seed out of the ground. There's going to be something that's going to protect this seed until it grows up and I reap a harvest, and that's what she's done in her life. Amen. And we see that over and over, this idea of seed going at work in people's lives. Genesis 1.11, God said this. He said, let the land have seed-bearing plants and trees that bear fruit with seed in it according to their varieties or after their own kind. So what is a seed? Now here's what you need to think of. A seed is anything valuable that I give away. Anything valuable that I give away in my life practically is a seed. It can be time. Now, this is very interesting because some people say if they need more time, then they need to, you know, they don't have time for God. I promise you, you can put this to the test. God is a redeemer of time. And what that means is, is if you need more time in your life, it actually works oppositely. That you need to give more of your time and devotion to God and you will find yourself having far more time. Every time I say, well, I just don't have enough time, I just don't have enough time. What I end up doing a lot of times is I put God on the side and he becomes an addendum. And then if I get enough time, well, I'll spend it with the Lord. But it has to work the exact opposite. Matter of fact, John Wesley, he said, you know what? I've got so many things to do every day that I cannot help but at least pray two hours before I get started. That's like, what? You're going to take two, you got a lot of stuff to do, so you're going to take two hours? He said, yeah, I take two hours because if I just take one, I won't have enough time the rest of the day. I, I don't know, but I'm just going to assume y'all are receiving that seed right there. That's a good word, though, isn't it? It causes you to think differently. You need to sow time. You need to sow time into the kingdom of God. You need to sow money, appreciation, wisdom, energy, love, whatever you need, whatever valuable that you can give away, you're sowing seed. 
and, and, and so that they can grow and that they can bear fruit. But see, you have to ask yourself, for example, what, am I, what kind of seed am I sowing in my life? What kind of seed am I sowing in my relationships, in my family? Am I sowing seeds of negativity in my job? It's a good word. Am I sowing seeds of trust or distrust? Am I sowing seeds of kindness or am I sowing seeds of anger and frustration? Am I sowing seeds that tear down or am I sowing seeds that build up? Because you can be sure that whatever you sow, you are going to reap. Amen? And here's something else you have to understand, that nothing happens until this seed is actually planted. That I can't just have a bag of seed and say, boys, I just don't believe I'm going to plant that. I have to actually plant the seed before I can even begin to think about harvesting a crop. Now, Jesus used this principle to explain why he came and died on the cross. In John 12, 24, Jesus said, Unless a grain of wheat or a seed of wheat is buried in the ground, it cannot reproduce. But if it dies, it will produce much fruit. Even when Jesus was speaking concerning what he was going to do in all the earth by making disciples. Now Jesus could have stayed here on the earth. He could have lived eternally and just taught people and moved from Israel to, 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 to Europe over to the United States and taught forever, right? He could have. But instead he chose to die in order to become a seed that was planted into the earth. And when he was raised forth, what he raised up was other Christians or people that would become Christ-like to spread his message and his love and his power and his glory throughout the world. And because he died, he bore much fruit in that you're, you're the fruit of what Jesus did. Not to mention every church throughout the world today that is worshiping Jesus Christ in spirit and fruit in spirit and truth. That is the fruit of Jesus' death and resurrection. So imagine a farmer that's going to buy some seed and, and he says, well, you know, I would plant that, but I just, I just want to hold on to it. I might not have enough. That'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Anybody that has seed, now here's where it gets difficult because you know if I'm planting like a, a, a fruit tree, I understand this is a seed. And I don't get any use or benefit out of that unless I plant it. But see, the problem is, is that there's many things in our life that we've not realized that they are seed. And rather than realizing that they're seed, we hold on to them and we choose not to plant them. But let me tell you something. Planting is an act of faith. Planting is a huge act of faith because when you release that thing, you don't know if anything's going to happen or not. You ever had the Lord ask you to give somebody a large sum of money? You know what that feels like? They're like, man, I'm giving this away. Ain't nothing going to happen. I ain't going to get nothing in return. And you are planting a seed into the realm of the unknown, but in faith believing that what you plant will reap a harvest. It takes faith to plant a seed. And planting is also risky. When it's under the dirt, you don't see it. Like, like if I go out, I, we planted some plants last year in, a, in our house, and I'm terrible at it. One of them died. I've planted some stuff that died before. Anybody else? Amen. <laughs> I planted some stuff in faith and it died because it wasn't what God wanted planted. Amen. And, but, but I planted some stuff last year and you, you plant it and you, you go out and look at it every day. Well, that thing's not growing. You know, I don't know if it's going to work or not. But this year I saw some blooms coming out of these things, you know, that I planted last year. Because it takes time, right? But it's risky because you don't see what's happening. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 4. 26 and 27, he said, the kingdom of God, this is how the kingdom works. It's like someone who plants seed in the ground. Night and day, whether the person is asleep or awake, the seed still grows, but the person does not know how it grows. I'm telling you right now, I believe that there are people in this place right here that you planted seeds years ago, and night and day, whether you sleep or awake, you've even forgotten about some seeds that you've planted, and right now that seed is still growing. It's still growing. You know, there's some things that are planted in the ground that it takes years for them to even begin to sprout because it's such a big seed. I read where a grapefruit, it took, if you plant a grapefruit tree, it takes two years before you get a grapefruit. It's messed up, isn't it? That's a long wait. Who wants to be that long and waiting on something? But God is saying you have to take the risk, you have to move forward. The second thing is, when I have a need, I should plant a seed. Now, if we're speaking spiritually, I, I've always believed this to be absolutely true. Do you know that, that even in the areas of what you're looking for spiritually, whether it be, I need a greater revelation of Jesus Christ in my life, or 
I want to see healing take place. I want, to, I want to see the gifts of the Spirit move. I want to, you have to take the Word of God that is specifically related to those truths that you want to see come to pass in your life. If you want more love in your life, you need to go to 1 Corinthians 13. You know, need to go to Ephesians 3. You need to go to the place where it talks about love, and you need to plant that seed deep in your heart and begin to speak it out of your mouth and begin to act upon it and water it. When you have a need, you need to plant some seed. If you, need more, if you need more wisdom in your life, you need to go to the book of Proverbs and start to plant some seed in your heart and pray over that seed and water it and allow God to begin to produce some stuff in your life. Amen? And the problem is so many of us, we think to ourselves, well, how come I'm not getting this and I'm not getting that? You ain't planted a drop of seed. I got a couple with me. When I have a need, I have to plant a seed. A farmer who has no crops doesn't say, Lord, help something grow out there. Help make something grow, God. Please make something grow over there, God. No. He takes seed. He goes out and he plants it. And then when he plants in faith, he can say, now, Lord, bless the increase. Because he's acted upon what he knows to do and he has planted the seed. Ecclesiastes 11.6 says, do your planting in the morning and in the evening too. You never know whether it will grow well or whether one planting will do better than the other. So I have to plant in a bunch of areas. Even when we do the work of making disciples, what you have to understand is not everybody's going to bear the same amount of fruit, like I said. That's been difficult for me to understand. But I understand that when I'm planting seed in people's lives, I see a harvest come forth, right? I'm watching it come forth in people's lives. And some people are different. Some people bear 30-fold. Some people bear 60-fold. Some 100-fold. And then some, they just fell off the wayside. But at least I know at the end of the day that I've done what God has called me to do. I love that word broadcasting. You know what I'm saying? I'm casting seed everywhere that I can. Everywhere I go, I'm speaking the word of God. I'm speaking life into people's hearts. I'm believing God that if I just plant one seed, I've told you the story about the first person that I ever witnessed to and I ever told them, that God shared the gospel with them. You know how long it took for that seed to give birth and, and that person to get seven years I planted a seed in that boy's heart one day and never spoke to him hardly again in any real context of a deep conversation for seven years. And seven years later, he called me and he said, you remember that day you told me about Jesus? He said, I've not been able to get it off my mind. I got saved this morning. Seven years that seed was laying in his heart. And God brought fruit from it. Amen? That's what he wants to do. So we have to begin to plant. And here's the truth. Some of you all, you're waiting on God to bring something to pass in your life. You're waiting on God to bring you a job or a... A godly husband, and notice this, I said godly husband. I didn't, you don't, look, you ain't going to bear no good fruit with a crazy man. Believe God, I'm telling you, you're going to believe God, believe God for something good. Amen, believe God for something good, but some of y'all are waiting for certain things. You're waiting for a miracle, and God's saying, I'm waiting on you. I need you to begin to plant seed because I want you to understand these principles of life. And if you'll begin to plant seed, well then in due time, you're going to reap a harvest and you're going to see my work come to pass in your life. So whatever I need more of, I need to learn to give it away. Amen? Number three, whatever I plant is what I will reap. Whatever I plant is what I will reap. If I go out and I plant tobacco, I'm not going to expect for a bunch of apple trees to come up and have an orchard, right? I'm not going to plan and say, boys, I just planted a bunch of tobacco. Let's call all the apple companies and tell them we got a harvest coming. That'd be ridiculous. See, that the, in the same way, we have to understand Galatians 6-7 says it like this, says it very clearly. You will reap exactly what you plant. And so you have to begin to ask yourself, what in the world am I planting in my life. Now here, here's some negative examples throughout the Bible just to show you that it's all throughout the Bible. Job 4.8, it says, People who plant trouble, they harvest it. Amen, good word. Those who plant seeds of injustice will harvest disaster. You planted wickedness and now you reaped evil. Matthew 7.2, whatever measure you use to judge others will be used to measure how you are judged. Now look at the next slide. These are good examples so we can get a few good ones. The one who sows righteousness will reap a sure reward. Plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of my love. James 3.18 says, Peacemakers plant seeds of peace 
and reap a harvest of goodness. So let me ask you something. In your life, in your family, what you're speaking to your children, to your spouse, at your job, what you're speaking to your coworkers, what is coming out? What kind of seeds are you planting? Are you planting seeds of peace or seeds of gossip? Are you planting seeds of love or seeds of bitterness? Right? And what, is, what are the seeds that have taken root in your own heart? The Bible says that a root of bitterness grows up and defiles many. And we have to begin to uproot that root of bitterness and begin to replace it with the seeds of love in our own hearts. But whatever I plant is exactly what I'm going to reap. And so that can work for me or against me. I cannot sow irresponsibility and reap success. I can't sow laziness and reap reward. I've sowed a lot of laziness in my time. You know what I got back for it? Nothing. Nothing happened. Why? Because I wasn't planting anything. I've just been dormant, just lying still. And in your own Christian walk, here's the thing. Many of us in our Christian walk, we're planting all kinds of seed in other areas. But in our Christian life, we're actually not planting anything. And therefore, we're reaping nothing. Amen? And God is saying, no, I want you to begin to plant seed in your walk with me. Here's another good one. I cannot sow stinginess in my life and reap blessing. The Bible is full of examples. Jacob, his name was Deceiver. And because his name was Deceiver, he deceived, he deceived his brother and his father. And you know what he got in, in place of that? His uncle Laban deceived him. He worked seven years for a woman. And when he went into her that night, his uncle Laban deceived him and gave him another woman. And that would be a bad night, boys. I mean, you work seven years for a woman that you're after? Seven years for a woman? I mean, can you imagine this for us? Saturday night, you talk about, it would be awful. And he was deceived, but you reap what you sow, right? You reap what you sow. Haman, in the Bible, he, he made a gallows to hang Mordecai on. And you know what happened to him? He hung from the own gallows that he made. Because you will reap what you sow in that area. Whatever you reap is exactly what you sow. Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8 says this. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others and ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. That's all he'll have to show for his life. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's Spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. And here's the other thing. We have to understand that we're not the only sowers. That we have reaped, many of us in our lives, especially in our community and different things, we've actually reaped the harvest that our parents before us planted, for good or for bad. Some of us have reaped uh, abuse, we've reaped addiction, we've reaped different things because other people are planting everywhere. In our community, other people are planting all the time. And here's what you have to decide at some point. Here's what we have to decide as a church. And this is something that we have to understand is that Clay County, for example, our community, would you say that people plant more seeds of blessing when they speak over our community or do they plant more seeds of cursing? And we wonder why it's in the shape that it's in. That's absolute truth. Throughout the Bible, that's one. we're spiritually ignorant to a lot of things oftentimes, and we don't recognize the power of what we speak over a place. And when something is not going my way, rather than speaking blessing over it, what I often do is curse it and perpetuate the cycle. Now, consider the things that are not going the way that you want them to in your life. What do you do? You end up speaking, you, this is worthless. It's awful. It's terrible. What are you doing? You're perpetuating the cycle. In our church, what you, I'm going to tell you something. There are things sometimes that happen in church and in our families and different areas of our life. When it doesn't go the way that we want it to go, what do we do? We curse it. And God is saying, no, if you want to see something good happen in this area, you need to begin to bless it. You need to go home and quit complaining to your children and to your spouse. And you need to lay hands on them as the spiritual leader of that house and bless them in the name of the Lord and speak forth what you want to see harvested in their lives. Amen? You have a responsibility. Jacob knew that his kids were a mess. Some of them were awful. They tried to kill one of their brothers. Some of them were sexually promiscuous. But when he died on his deathbed, he laid his hands on every single one of his children and he blessed them in the name of the Lord. He spoke increase over their life. He spoke blessing over their life. And if we really are the city of hope, 
If we really do have a belief and a joyful expectation of good things to come in our community, then we have the responsibility and the calling to begin to speak life and sow seeds of life where everybody else is sowing seeds of cursing and doubt. When everybody else says Clay County ain't going to get no better, we need to say, no, Clay County will prosper in the name of the Lord. When everybody else says we're not going to see any good ever come out of these people, we need to say, no, the Lord Jesus Christ has paid the price for them to be free and we need to start speaking blessing if we're ever going to reap a harvest of life in our community Woo! now that's a good word I'm telling you right now I feel that right down in my bones some of y'all are speaking nothing but curses all over everything you have and everything you own you speak it over your children you speak it over your community you speak it over our high school you speak it over our children all of our children are only going to be this and you know what we're reaping it And we reap it and we see it and we say things are never going to get any better. We're dealing with addiction. We need to start speaking life into people once again. We need to start sowing seeds of life. And if we are truly Christian people, we're going to get a hold of our tongues. Thank you, Lord. Number five, I will, where am I even at? I got messed up right then. (laughs) Praise God. We gotta look, we gotta leave a legacy behind us, folks. I don't wanna leave here and say, you know what? When Clay, when Clay really got called into ministry, it was this way, and then he was in ministry for 30, 40 years, and then he died, and you know what? It was a little bit worse. Like, who wants to have that as a testimony? We want to leave a legacy. I want my children and my children's children to be blessed. I don't care if all the dreams that I have don't come to pass. As long as I can, this is what Donald is teaching me right now. As long as I can leave the next generation set up to pursue what God set up for us to have, then I'll be fine. I'll be fine if I can set the next generation up for the success and the inheritance that God has for them. And that's what we have to begin to believe. We are leaving a legacy, but what kind of legacy are we leaving? Are we leaving a legacy of generosity, of breakthrough, of life? Or are we leaving a legacy of death, of stinginess, of poverty, of disease, of doubt, of faithlessness, of godlessness? I know that's a hard word, sort of. I get excited, though. Number four, I always reap in a different season than I sow. Now, this is that difficult part where I said... Where I said, there is, no, there, there is no instant maturity. If you, are, if you are committed to becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ, now we give people, we give people the opportunity to be saved, and we believe, I believe with all of my heart, I preach it as much as anybody, that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, boom. He imputes his righteousness to you. You are saved. You're born again. You're a new creation. Your sins have washed away. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But guess what? Now you become a disciple. And that's a process, and maturity doesn't happen right away. Just because you say one prayer doesn't mean you're going to be changed tomorrow completely. You have to start to work and do the work, and you, have to, you will reap in a different season than the one that you sow in. And therefore, here's the truth. I have to learn to be patient and not give up. Amen? Some of us, we get very discouraged. We get very weak. Here's what the Bible says in Galatians 6, 9. It says, let us not get tired of doing what is right, for after a while we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. Amen? Somebody needs to hear that this morning. Somebody needs to hear that you don't need to get discouraged and give up. I know you've been sowing a lot of seed. I know you've been praying. I know you've been believing God for breakthrough in that area. And here's the promise of God's word that, listen, that seed is beginning to break through the surface. There's some growing that is taking place that you've not been able to see yet. Something is happening beyond the surface, but the worst thing you can do is get discouraged and give up. You need to pour even more of your time into pursuing God and praying and seeking the Lord and watering that seed because you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Do not give up. Don't get discouraged. Don't allow it to overcome you in your life in this area that you're in. Even in this church, I'm telling you, there are times when I look at what's going on and I get sometimes discouraged about my own life, about things that are going on. I've been this way ever since I've been in ministry. And the worst thing that I can do is begin to see what is not happening and focus on what is not happening and speak into that because I'm perpetuating the cycle. 
What I have to do instead is look beyond what I see and thank God for what I do have and steward what I do have and look beyond what I see and begin to speak into what I see out in the future and begin to say, God, you're bringing growth. You're bringing increase. You're bringing souls saved in. You're blessing our people. Things are changing. Minds are being renewed. Hearts are being restored. Families are being raised to life again. Things are happening, God. And we begin to speak and sow that seed. And we learn to be patient. Because when we speak that out, when we live this life, when we sow that seed, we're going to reap a harvest. Amen? This is going to happen. Number five. Number five, I always reap more than I sow. I always reap more than I sow. Just like I said, Jesus said, some fell on good soil in Mark 4, 8. And it came and grew and produced a crop multiplying 30, 60, and even 100 times. In every seed, there is exponential potential. I mean, do you, do you realize that you can plant an apple seed, and when you plant that one apple seed, even though it's just this big, when it grows up and becomes a tree, it produces thousands of apples over the course of its lifetime. So you're always, you're always going to reap more than you sow. So if you begin to sow that, now that makes me feel good because if, if I sow one, I'm not just going to get back one. I'm going to get back multiple. When I sow one act of love, I will get acts of love increased to me, multiplying, right? These things begin to happen in our lives. Number six, here's where it gets serious. I want to talk about the stuff that makes everybody want to get mad. I can increase my harvest by planting more seed, right? I can increase my harvest by planting more seed. Now, specifically, when we talk about seed, one of the things that Jesus himself discusses and Paul discusses is in the area of finances and in the area of money. Now, Jesus in Matthew 6, 24, here's how he laid it out and laid a foundation for it because he had to get at it. He says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Do you know that in our day, the God that competes for the true worship of God right now more than anything else is money? You realize that? And Jesus, even in Jesus' day, he knew it. He knew that it was. And mammon is the spirit that influences the economy of the nations. Mammon is a spirit that tries to lure you away from God so that you'll put your trust not in God to provide your needs, but you'll put your trust in your own self and in money to provide your needs. And as soon as you do that, you actually begin to lose. It brings you into a place of bondage because you're constantly pursuing for more and more and more because you want to reach this place of security, but because you've not found your security in God yet, you're always on shaky ground because you worship the spirit of mammon, right? And even when you come to God, it's for God to give you mammon rather than God to give you himself. When God said, if you would seek first me and my righteousness, then everything you ever have need of, money, clothes, cars, whatever you need, it will be added unto you. I mean, I got force down here. That dude's been serving God, been seeking the kingdom of righteousness. How many cars you got given to you? Three cars. Ain't nobody ever gave me a car. Do you know why, though? Do you know why? And I'm not trying to toot his horn, but he has been, since Jesus Christ, what a testimony God has done in that man's life. I mean, brought, I, I, me and, and Forrest, he went with us down to Missouri, and I laid in bed that night, and I was sitting there listening to him tell, tell me story after story. I mean, my mind was blown about what God brought him out of and to see the transformation in his life and what God has done in his life. I thought I went through some stuff. You know what I'm saying? And God has so transformed his life. And let me tell you something. He, there's something special that God's doing in his life. I don't even know why I'm saying this forward, but, for us, but you're getting ready to move into a new season, and God's going to bless you all. He's going to bless you. He's going to give you increase. And here's the thing. He is so focused on pursuing God's kingdom and his righteousness. doesn't mean he's perfect. He'll come in and share his failures with me sometimes, and we'll talk through them, and we'll wrestle through some stuff. doesn't mean he's perfect, but it does mean he's got his eyes set first on God's kingdom. And God has supplied him with, he got three vehicles gave to him. I don't know, that's a good testimony, I guess, I think. But here's the thing, he says that you will either love the one and despise the other, or you'll hate the one and love the other, because when you love money, and money is your true love, that means when somebody comes and speaks about money, especially in a church context, you actually despise them. 
You, you don't want to hear them say it, right? You don't want to hear them talk about it. Why? Because, because that's where your treasure is. It's where your heart is. And so when we speak about money, I'm coming at your idol, right? Because you, you hold on to it. It's mine. You grip it. And so if I speak about it, you, it, it, it already reveals as soon as I start to talk about money, right, you can feel something in your heart a little bit, right? And that reveals to us where is my, is, is my, what my, who my God is. So some people say, well, how much money is too much? It's whatever replaces trust. You remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus? The rich young ruler came. Some people say, well, you know, the Bible says that I ought to give up everything I own and go and serve Jesus. I said, the Bible does not say that. Jesus said to one man who was a rich young ruler. It was in the context of one person. Jesus spoke differently to every person because of their condition of their heart. Zacchaeus, the condition of his heart was different than the rich young ruler. So he went to Zacchaeus' house. And even though Zacchaeus had been robbing people blind, Jesus just said, hey, I'm going to go eat at your house. He didn't say nothing about money. He didn't say anything about repentance. But you know what Zacchaeus did? He repented and said, Lord, I'm going to give everybody back fourfold what I took from them. Now, the rich young ruler comes and says, Lord, what must I do to inherit, inherit eternal life? And he says, hey, go sell everything you have and then come and follow me. Do you know why Jesus said that to him? Because that was the God of that man's heart. Wasn't the God of Zacchaeus' heart. Zacchaeus had other issues. But he, Jesus will come at me on one level because he knows what's competing in my heart for his lordship. But on you, he's going to come at something different because he knows what's competing in your heart for lordship. And so true, here's, here's what we have to do as a church. We have to understand true biblical prosperity. We bless that baby in the name of the Lord Jesus. No, that's all right. Listen, don't ever feel bad about a baby crying. That's what they do. But we bless it nonetheless. True biblical prosperity is soul prosperity first and foremost. Because where we get into error is we sow seed of financial seed in only expectation of re reaping financial seed. And God says, first and foremost, I want you to be in soul prosperity, and I want more and more people to come into a prosperous soul, to be healed in their spirit, to be delivered in their mind and in their emotions. And whenever you are set free and you're living for Jesus, you'll notice the change. All of a sudden, you hold money a little bit more loosely, right? Because you have a new Lord in your life. And generosity comes because you have a healed soul. But here's the truth is that God wants us as a church to bring more and more people into a prosperous soul. But here's what, here's what the truth is. We cannot do that without generosity and resources. Do you know that God has called us to disciple the nations? And we are as a church trying to do that in obedience to God's command. But you cannot disciple the nations without resources and finance. You can't do it. And that's why what God is saying is the harvest that I want you all to reach for, reap for future generations as far as, as far as bringing people into salvation and healing and a prosperous soul, you have to understand that first, first, before we go anywhere, we have to create a culture of generosity because as we begin to learn to be givers and good stewards of what God has for us, then it will begin to open up the doors of heaven in our life and we will see increase and resources abound and then we will be able to come to a place where we can reach the nations for Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Now somebody, most people would say, we look at this church, we see well, probably about 100 people here this morning. There ain't no way this church can actually, well, I mean, we're from Clay County. You know, we can't actually reach the nations for Jesus Christ. But see, that's where we have to begin to look beyond. And we have to begin to sow in faith and believe God in faith and begin to plant seeds of generosity. And I have to begin to look at my finances as something that the Lord has given me, not so I can just spend on myself, but He's given it to me so that I can learn how to steward it well, so that I can become a channel through which God blesses others. Have you ever looked at your finances as primarily being that? Your money and your finances and your resources are not primarily for you to just get stuff. Even though God wants you to, He does. The Bible says that God gives us freely all things to enjoy. So when you buy something nice, like we ain't going to harp on you for that. Thank God. We, we thank God that He blessed you, right? Praise the Lord. But that's not His primary purpose. Its primary purpose is to bring me into a place where I am generous to the world around me so that they can be blessed and experience the love and the goodness of God. You know, a culture of generosity, it awakens 
the consciousness of the goodness of God in people's hearts. Amen? What I mean by that is, when you go out, when you just tip your waiter or your waitress a better tip than usual, you know what it does? It awakens their heart to the goodness of God for them. It really does. When you bless somebody that needs blessed, I'm telling you what, hallelujah to the children this morning. Praise to God. When you bless somebody, though, you begin to understand that it releases and awakens their conscience to how good God is and what He wants to do in their life. Listen, I got just a, a couple more, and I'm going to be finishing up. I know. But I got, see, I got carried away a little while back. I told you there was anointing oil all over this pulpit. So concerning giving, you get to choose your harvest size. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 9. It says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. That means if you sow a little bit, you're going to get a little bit back. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. If you sow a lot, you're going to get a lot back. And it says each one should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And this is where discipleship comes in, because if we get up here and try to shame somebody into giving something, well, then we're going to miss the whole benefit of God in the first place. Because if you give out of compulsion because you hear a message on it and you begin to give because, well, he said I ought to give. Listen, please hang on to it. Because one, it's not going to benefit us. And two, it's not going to benefit you. And three, it's not going to increase the kingdom of God. Because what's more important than money is the conditions of our hearts. And until our God is not money and it's God and we trust God rather than money, it doesn't matter how much we give. Because he can't bless it. God loves a cheerful giver. He loves somebody who has chosen in their heart to say, God, you're, you've been good to me. And I know your plans and I know how your kingdom works. And I want to sow into somebody else because I want to bless them. And I want to increase your kingdom. And you've given me resources. You've given me finances. You've given me these things. And I choose as an act of my heart. I'm not under compulsion. I choose out of an act of my heart to give into this area. See, don't let anybody provoke you or manipulate you. If we ever provoke you or manipulate you, come up to me and say, listen, I feel like I've been provoked and manipulated. You need to quit doing that. Verse 8, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Right? That's a good word right there. Proverbs eleven twenty four. it says, The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Notice that. When, you're, when, you, when you increase in generosity, the world around you increases. You start finding abundance in areas you never realized you had an abundance. But when you hang on to every little thing and you get stingy, all of a sudden everything closes in around you. You feel like you have less and less and less and less. And I'm speaking to us as a church, not just even as individuals, Right? That we have to be abundant in our giving. Now in 2 Corinthians 9.10, the more seed that I plant, the more God will give me. It says, it says, For God who supplies seed to the farmer and bread to eat will give you more and more seed to plant and will make it grow so that you can give away more and more fruit from your harvest. So here's what God is saying. He's saying that God gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Now, there are, God gives me things. There are things that come into my life. I work, you know, I get a paycheck. I go places, and sometimes people bless me. I got to pre preach at two places this week, and I, as I was preaching at two places this week, I had people that come up and just bless me, right? Now, when I receive those things, what I have to discern is, what is... Amen. What is seed... <laughs> What I have to discern is what God gives me, I have to discern what is seed and what is bread. Now listen to this, I know, yeah, but what, I have to discern in my life what is seed and what is bread, right? Because one, I, if I eat my seed, I'm going to hurt my long-term investment. I can't eat my seed, but it is equally dumb to plant my bread, so God gives me some things for me. Because he wants to bless me and he loves me. And he's a good father and he likes to give good gifts to his children. I bought a guitar the other day. It's a stinking sweet guitar. You know what? And I felt like the Lord wanted to bless me with that. 
And I bought that thing. I spent money on it. But then there's sometimes that God gives me money and he says, I want you to take that because that's not yours, that's seed. And you need to plant that seed into somebody else's life because I need to give an increase in a harvest. But here's what he says. Here's what he says, that when he sees somebody who recognizes when God gives them seed and plants it, you know what he says? Oh, there's one who knows how to plant seed. Let me give them more. And so there's people who desire to be givers in life, to just want to bless people. And you know what God is saying? That's good because if you'll do that, I'll actually give you more and more opportunity to bless people. I'll give you more and more opportunity to increase my kingdom. To those people who don't know what seed is, then he won't give them any seed because he knows they won't use it wisely. Right? So he's looking for planters. He's looking for people to give. Now here's an understanding really quickly. 10% of everything that comes into me, according to the Bible, and I could get into this. I've heard a lot of people say, well, the tithe isn't for the new covenant. Well, guess what? Abraham started the tithe, and he wasn't in the old or the new covenant. Hallelujah. But he tithed to Melchizedek, and the Scripture says that Jesus was a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And so Melchizedek came out bringing bread and wine, which is a picture of Jesus bringing me his body and his blood. And in response, Abraham tithed 10%. And the Scripture says that Jesus has redeemed me from the curse of the law so I might receive all the abundance of the blessings of Abraham in my life. I'm under that same covenant. And so what I do is I have a revelation that God is not demanding that I tithe. He's given me the opportunity to tithe so that He can release His blessings in the realm of my resources. So 10%, 10% is not even an offering. 10% is God's. And once I give that 10% to God, then my wife and I sit down and we decide what is seed. Because 10% ain't even seed. It's just God's. With the 90%, I get to find out what is the seed that I'm going to plant. Because my tithe isn't seed, that's God's. It's honor. But then past that, beyond that, I get to choose, well, here's some seed I can plant in different areas. Amen? Finally, my last thing, and I'm, I'm going to be done. Y'all come to, to, to some music up here. I'm going I'm to quit quickly. I plant by faith and not by my feelings, right? Number seven is I plant by faith and not by my feelings. Because I'll be honest with you, oftentimes I don't feel like giving. I've had the Lord say, you need to give this person so-and-so amount of money. I'd be like, no. I don't feel like doing that. There's a lot of times I don't even feel like preaching on Sunday. I don't even feel like getting up and sowing seed. Lord, they ain't going to hear it no way, right? That's my bad negative attitude. And I have to bring that under the blood. I have to bring that under the blood. Because if we went by our feelings, the Bible says we walk not by sight, we walk by faith. Amen? And so if I'm going to grow spiritually, if I'm going to grow in daring faith, I have to put my feelings under subjection and I have to believe God in this area. My last verse, Ecclesiastes 11.4. It says, Those who wait for perfect weather will never plant seeds, and those who look at every cloud will never reap a harvest. Perfection paralyzes potential. What that means is, if you wait for everything to be perfect, well, i got to wait till this happens, or i got to wait till I have enough here. Just like Loretta said, if she waited till she had enough, she may have never had enough. But she chose, the time to plant is always now. If I wait a year to plant, I'm setting off my harvest another year. So in my life, I have to understand the time to plant is right now. And I have to plant in faith, believing that God is going to bring a harvest. Amen? Now, once you stand to your feet with me this, this morning, I'm going to bring this to a close. You know, we're not even going to ask you to give anything right now this instant. Because we want you to give out of a sincere heart. What, what we're hoping to do is plant a seed that your mind will begin to change concerning generosity. That your mind will begin to change concerning the tithe. If, it, if you've not been faithful in the tithe, that God will begin to speak to you concerning that. And that from your heart, you'll begin to decide, God, I believe in this principle. I believe that this is going to work. I believe that generosity is going to work in my life. Would you give me a heart of generosity to begin to believe you for greater things in my life so that I can plant seed. Now in four weeks, in four weeks, we're going to have a Daring Faith offering in four weeks on June the 4th. And we're going to commit. And we're going to talk more about this in the next few weeks. But one month from the day on June the 4th is when we're going to receive a, a, an offering specifically for this Daring Faith campaign. Now we've listed a bunch of things that we want to do with that. 
and, and, and what we're believing God for in those areas and what we want to pray into. And that's one of the things we're going to pray into at that prayer meeting. But we're believing God for all of these different things with this offering. And that's going to be an opportunity for us to move forward as a church. And I, you know what? More than even the amount of money that comes in, what I'm believing God for is that we start to produce a culture of generosity in our people. Because that will last for generations. One offering is only going to last a short period of time. But a culture of generosity and transformed hearts will last forever. Amen? Now, here, here's what I want to do. I want to do things just a little bit differently. If you're, uh, if you're there with your family, maybe you can take them, by, take, take them by the hand. If not, you can just kind of open your hands up to the Lord or lift a hand to the Lord. I want us to pray together, but we're going we're gonna to confess the Word of God this morning, right? Because I thought if I give an altar call, I didn't imagine anybody would come forward at this one. So we're just going to begin to confess some things and believe God as far as planting seed. And we're going to begin to learn what it means to plant good seed out of our mouth. Amen? And I want you to understand something right now. That the Bible says you have been made a priest and a king under the Most High God. It says out of the word of a king, the word of a king there's power. In the Old Testament, it says that every assault and controversy was settled by the word of the priest. You are a priest. Amen? And when you speak things, there's power behind it. There's power to reverse curses, to break curses, and to bring truth. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to speak a few things. I want you to declare these out in your life. Amen? You ready? Say, I receive an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. I reign in life through Jesus Christ. I look not only for my own interests, but also for the interests of others. I am kind and tender-hearted to others. I forgive them as God has forgiven me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I ask God to set a guard over my mouth. He keeps watch over the door of my lips. I am strengthened with all power according to His might. I have great endurance and patience. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. God loads me daily with benefits. He is my salvation. I am His servant and He takes pleasure in my prosperity. I meditate on God's Word day and night. I am successful and prosperous. God makes all grace abound toward me. So that I always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. I honor the Lord with my wealth and the first fruits of all my produce. My barns shall be filled with plenty. My vats will overflow with new wine. I bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. He opens the windows of heaven for me and pours out a blessing so great that I don't have enough room for it. I prosper in all things. I remain in health just as my soul prospers. God abundantly blesses my provision. I give and I receive. Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. I am blessed in the city and blessed in the country. My children are blessed. My basket is blessed. I am increasing on every side. I am blessed when I come in and blessed when I go out. The Lord causes my enemies who rise against me to be defeated before my face. They come out against me one way and they flee before me seven ways. 
The Lord commands His blessing on my storehouse. Everything that my hand touches shall prosper. The Lord opens to me His good treasure. I will lend to many nations, but I will not borrow. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I am confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in me will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now we're right there with your family. I just want, let's just pray one last time. Father God, I just, I just bless our church. God, we bless our community. We declare that our church and our families are blessed. Lord God, that you're bringing increase, Lord, and more than anything, you're bringing us into a greater knowledge of who you are, Jesus. And we just declare in our workplaces, in our homes, God, that your blessing and your presence is going to abound. Your love is going to abound in our hearts. And we just declare over this community, over, over the workplaces in this community, over the schools of Clay County, God, and throughout this region, Lord, that your blessing is upon this place, God. That it is a place of hope, God, and that you're bringing good, that you're bringing change, that you're bringing transformation. Lord, that you're bringing souls of harvest into your kingdom, God. And you're teaching us how to plant good seed, Lord God, so that we can reap a harvest. You know, there's one scripture that says, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. And I believe that people have been going through such hard times, such hard times that the tears that you're sowing, listen, it may feel bad right now, and you may be going through an awful hard time right now, but you're going to reap in joy one day. And you're going to see a harvest in that area. Father, we just can you just pray for your family right now? Father, we pray for our family, for our children, for our loved ones, for our spouses, God, that you would just pour love in, that you would knit our hearts together in love. And God, that you bring breakthrough, that we would understand what you're asking us to plant right now. Lord, what are you asking us to plant in our lives right now? And we want to yield that to you in Jesus' name. Amen.